You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I've been thinking about what I need to see in the first week to month after this season ended. And, you know, I mean, what I would love to see is pirated videotape, like hazy things, like when they, when they see a Sasquatch in the woods. But instead, it's, it's personnel from the White Sox slinking out of the building with all their possessions inside of boxes, right? And, and it's just like, oh, there goes Daryl Boston, and look at all the whistles hanging from his hands. Like, that would be amazing to see, but that's not how this organization runs, right? I mean, Chris Getz is not going to walk through the building now that the season is over like Ari Golden Entourage with a paintball gun. I would love it to happen, but life is unfortunately not that fun. That said, moves are being made already. Pedro's getting new coaches. Hitting coach Jose Castro is out. First base coach, I don't know what else he did. Daryl Boston is out. Kurt Hassler, the assistant pitching coach. Chris Johnson, the assistant hitting coach. They're getting reassigned. Looks like Ethan Katz probably sticking around. We're just not getting the fun theatrics I would have liked after a terrible season. You're not going to get the satisfaction of, you know, White Sox security having them exit the building with a box full of whistles or whatever they happen to have on their desk. I think what what you're going to get is you're going to get a quiet reshuffling, right? You're going to get, you know, a, a little tidbit about Kurt Hassler being reassigned. You're going to get... Well, I would think that Pedro's going to get to pick his staff. Like, I would think that if anything that was forced upon him by Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, now having Getz, who he knows a little bit from Kansas City, and I, I know, I hate the Kansas City connection because it's not like the Royals are a juggernaut in baseball and we should all be proud about that Kansas City pipeline. But there is a relationship there, and he seems to be okay at least for her, Pedro managing his team this year. So I would imagine he's going to be open to Griffol coming to him and saying, this guy was somebody that was given to me. He's not a bad dude, but you know what? Let him go find a job someplace else because I have somebody else I'd like to bring in there or somebody that matches my philosophy. Like, I'm looking for things like that because I I think that's going to be the first noticeable thing. A Kenny guy, a Han guy, somebody on on Pedro's staff that he really didn't pick. And he's like, you know, let's go in a different direction with this. I I want certain people in here to think the same way as me. And you, you have to see that, right? Because that's what backs up what we're being sold right now. We're being sold dysfunction inside the front office from Kenny and Rick. Kenny being one of the bigger problems, but you can't let Rick off the hook. And guys like Pedro getting some help, but not everything he wants because certain guys are christened as well. No, you got to keep this guy in your on your staff. This guy's got to have this office over here. This guy is going to continue to be a scout, even though he hasn't been very good because he's so-and-so's friend. Like you want to see those moves because it backs up the idea that even though Chris Getz was in the building, Chris Getz didn't agree with the way that things were going. And that's why he went out and got some guys from outside the organization to put him in important positions. And now that the season's over, it's time to start telling people, thank you very much for your service. I'm sure at some point the old man will give you a statue right outside of a urinal out in right field or left field because everybody gets a statue. And then they move on their merry way. That's 
what I'm looking for here. And I I will sit amongst Sox fans, either at Cork and Carey at the park, at 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark, and enjoy those two-for-one burgers when you dine in on Mondays for non-Sox home games because there are no Sox home games for a while now, and they are award-winning burgers, and there's all kinds of great craft beers, and there's a beautiful bar there, and indoor-outdoor seating for the fall weather, which I love. Or I'll head to the patio at Cork and Carey in Beverly at 10614 Southwestern and watch a football game or playoff baseball on the flat screens indoor or outdoor at the traditional Irish bar in the Beverly neighborhood. See more at corkandcarry.com. But that's what I'm looking for right now. I need more validation, more moves backing up the idea that even though Chris Getz was in the building, he knows there's a systematic problem he knows that that maybe not everybody there should be there and they were there for the wrong reasons. And now those people slowly make their way to the exit over the next month. Right. Or, or something even even a little bit more large, like, for example, new organization wide pitching coordinator Brian Bannister sitting there saying, OK, this is the philosophy and these are now all the pitching and bullpen instructors that we're going to have and, and watching as he, as he tries to start, start assembling that or getting rid of the guys that he knows aren't going to follow the philosophy, which you know kind of makes you wonder, marrying what you're saying and, and, and what Bannister could be doing, somebody like Ethan Katz, who was inherited by Pedro Grafol, who it's not like the White Sox pitching staff had a wonderful year or you had something like Dylan Cease really took that next step. He's He was tied to a pitcher who's a free agent right now who's not here, and who proved that he kind of needs to be around Ethan Katz and Lucas Giolito. Yeah, but it sounds like he's staying. And that also feels very White Sox. Because Bannister came from San Francisco, and so this could be a, well, Katz recommended Bannister. Bannister shows up and says, hey, Ethan, thanks for the recommendation, and we're all in the door now, and uh, of course you're going to stick around. It would be more intriguing to me that Bannister shows up and goes, yeah, this isn't working. And I know we work together well out in in San Francisco, but what have you done other than Lucas Giolito? Can you tell me like that, like that scene in office space, what is it exactly that you do here? Right? Like I I take the specs from the pitchers (laughs) and I'm a people person. (laughs) I like, like that's, that's what you kind of want to see. And I would imagine that Chris Getz is having or has had, or will have very, very soon the conversation with Liam Hendricks that they're not going to pick up the option because I can't find any right. good reason why you would do that. Give the man his money, spread out over a, a series of years, and use the money that is available because you free that up to improve your team and start building towards 2025 and being a little bit more competitive in 24. And I can't see anything that Tim Anderson has done over the last year and a half with this organization that justifies $14 million with the exception of some great sound bites and stuff we remember from the past. I just don't see why you would give him $14 million when you have Colson Montgomery uh, likely here at least midway through the year. And definitely here when you start contending again, if you do this right in 25. So I, I don't see the reason for that 14 million. If that 14 million can be used to acquire one or two other pieces that you need because this team is in need of, of a definite overhaul in a lot of areas. Well, and you can't tell me 14 million doesn't get you at least a competent middle to back end of the rotation pitcher for a couple of years. Yes. Right? And, and, and that's the thing. You can, you can sign somebody, fix a problem with that money. Like you could take that money from Tim Anderson, let's say, 
You, you get Elvis Andros, even if he needs a bump, because I'm telling you, he's the bridge. That's why they kept him around. They, that has to be why they kept him around is he's the bridge. Because otherwise, there's no reason. There's no reason to give him bats or have him be part of the team. But they like him. They think he's got some leadership qualities. Uh, the, the team seems to like him. The coaches seem to like him. Maybe Getz likes him as well. And it's like he's cheap. He's at the end of his career, and he's cheap, and he's serviceable, and he can still play a little bit out there, and he'd be the perfect bridge so that if Montgomery gets here halfway through the year or has a great, you know, Arizona Fall League and then goes, I, I think he's going there, and gets into spring training and just goes off, and you're like, all right, man, we can't hold this kid back any longer, that you're not upset about the couple million dollars still left on his deal. Like, Elvis is going to be a free agent, but Elvis is going to be somebody that should be affordable. You could give him a slight bump to make sure he doesn't go anywhere else. And just take care of him very early on here. You move on from Anderson. You take care of Elvis. You give him a million dollars extra and say, stay with the White Sox, Elvis. No guarantees on the whole year, but you're one of us. Finish it out here, right? And then know that Montgomery's coming. Then you could take a lot more of what, it, like Anderson's getting a million dollars to go away. So now you, you've got $13 million. You give an extra million to Elvis, you got $12 million left. You go out and you sign somebody like Adam Frazier to plug second base. Because... I would rather have a professional ball player with an OPS right around league average that has been out there for a while as a veteran who's going to be a free agent and then make these young guys prove they belong there because you may not have anybody who ever proves they belong there, Lenin Sosa or anybody else. But don't go in there again with a hole at second base. Let's start creating some competition. You're not blocking people. You're telling them they got to be good enough to take the job. All right. And you're not going to have to spend $12 million on Frazier. So you might also be able to take some of that money after you spend what you need to spend on him to at least have something at second base here as you continue as you start building to go and replace your left-handed bat off the bench because I don't want to see Gavin Sheets anymore. Oh gosh, no! Like he's 27 years old this year, going into 28. What has he done to make you think that he's going to be a viable part of a winning championship team? Nice guy, it seems like. Not somebody in my plans. And that is what it's all about. It's all about like your plans. The White Sox have an opportunity right now, just like somebody who has a business, small business, big business. At the end of every year, you got open enrollment for health insurance, right? You got to get all the employees ready. You're hoping that everything's going to get cheaper. It never gets cheaper. It always costs more money. It feels like you get less benefits. You can keep going the same way you've been going each and every year, and nothing's going to improve. If you are dreading your medical renewal at your company, increased premiums, out-of-pocket expenses, some of your employees could go into medical bankruptcy based on the decisions you make. Do not fear small business, big business owner, CEO, CFO, Elite Benefits of America is there for you. Whether you run the benefits program for your company or even own the company, buy it privately on your own or you are retirement aged medical. The folks over at Elite Benefits are the ones that you call. Look, here's the pitch. Butch Zemar runs a podcast on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. This is all Butch does. Have him use the Elite Benefits Playbook to see if he can save you some money for open enrollment. Now's the time. Give him a call, 708-535-3006, or reach out to butch at elitebenefits.net. I think Butch even understands that Gavin Sheets is not an answer to any question. No, I, I, Gavin Sheets is, he, he, was, he, was, he was a guy that, fit a profile that the White Sox wanted and he tried really hard to turn himself into an outfielder and not just be a first baseman and he was he was supposed to be the power hitting left-handed batter and, and you see him connect with him and you sit there and go wow you know he, he's got a, a nice looking swing and he, he you know hits the ball hard and everything but it's just it's never translated for the guy there, there comes a point where you have to sit here if you're going to compete and say 
I I just don't I haven't seen enough. In 2021 with 54 games, he looked like he was really promising with a 122 OPS plus. 2022, he kind of faded back to lead average, only 15 home runs in a 20 124 games. That's not that's not a power hitter. That's that's not a slugger, right? We traded away a slugger in Jake Berger who, you know, that that's a power hitter. Right? That's a guy that you want on your team. Right. But you, you can't have him. Because... You don't have him anymore. And, and then this year, 118 games, only 10 home runs. And and while we're at it, 19 doubles last year, 10 doubles this year. D- don't tell me Gavin Sheets is our left-handed thump off the bench. The guy can barely hit a baseball. Unfortunately, at the major league level, the guy can barely hit. So, no, I would I would rather, you know, Gavin Sheets be gone off the bench. I would. You're right. I would rather them look at, say, Adam Frazier or, say, Ahmed Rosario, who's, you know, 28 years old and, and coming off of some – Decent seasons with Cleveland and the Dodgers can play second, can play short. Might be the answer at one of them, might be the bridge at one of them. And there's money there that if you let Tim Anderson go, if you let Liam Hendricks go, you can start to craft parts of the team and start to fill holes. And what we never saw the previous regime do was really address that right they they had money to spend no they that's the thing when they had money to spend they never wanted to address the the gaping holes like right field was a problem every year it seems like for the last like five six years and it was never addressed okay second base has been a problem die second base has been a problem forever it's never actually addressed it's always like oh we're going to get the camp and then we're going to see what this guy can do and don't forget there's always lurry remember i mean like that's that's what this was for the last several years and so that's the first thing that Getz has to do. Look, you don't need to have every position on the baseball diamond filled with a prospect that was homegrown or that you acquired who went through your system and you have for control for the next like five years. I mean, that was a cute idea, but you got to get out of the rebuild or whatever it really was mentality and start saying to yourself, we need a second baseman. Here's a list of second basemen. Which one do the pro scouts think is going to work out for us and who can we afford? This guy, is he a professional second baseman? Yeah. Does he normally take the field? Yeah. Is he a jerk off the field or in the clubhouse? No. Let's bring him in here and sign him and then we don't need to worry about second base this year. And then while that guy's sitting at second base, do your development and figure out your long-term plan. Because if it doesn't work out, you should be able to go out and go shopping every year like every other team does. And that's something they don't do. And that's been such a big problem with this organization. So you, that's why you have to clean out some money to give Chris Getz something to play with. Because the old man's not going to give him a lot. So, I mean, like his attendance is down. Look at Major League Baseball attendance up. Everybody loves Major League Baseball with the new rules. White Sox fans... They just don't want anything to do with this team because of the way they've been treated. But guys like Jerry Reinsdorf, they're not going to have accountability for themselves, right? Jerry Reinsdorf's never going to look in the the mirror and say, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. He's never going to do that, right? He's going to be like, remember Star Wars? Remember when, when Disney took over Star Wars, right? The Last Jedi comes out. And all these Star Wars fans get angry and ticked off about the entire thing. And the franchise is in disarray. And then when Solo comes out, which was actually a pretty good movie. Nobody went and saw it at the theaters because they were mad at Disney. Disney didn't say this is backlash from uh, The Last Jedi. Disney said, oh, they must not like Solo because they couldn't look in the mirror and say, we screwed this up, right? And I get some people like it, but overall with that franchise, 
They screwed it up right there at that moment. They couldn't look at themselves in the mirror, though, and see that. Jerry Reinsdorf's never going to look in the mirror and see that. So he's going to look at the attendance numbers and say, ah, these fans just don't care. Not, I mean, uh, you just can't give them any more money here. We're going to have to cut back on money. We're going to have to cut back on what we're spending, right? So Getz's only possible way of improving the team is to start making hard choices. It's the trade Aloy Jimenez and actually reduce the payroll in what you in what you get back. Because he's, he's worth nearly $14 million this year, and he's not actually worth $14 million. Right. And if you can find somebody that loves what he has, is capable of doing and the potential, then you, you take that deal and you find a piece someplace else because you should be able to find a guy that at worst DHs and plays bad outfield for less than $14 million. That's the kind of general manager Chris Getz has to be. And he's got to not care about whether or not you've got that guy's jersey or what that guy was supposed to be over the last five years. So when he has a second base issue, go shop and buy a second baseman. Music means only one thing. The season may be over, but the Sox nerd never sleeps. Dave Marin, who works over there at the rate and does all the tidbits that are up on the scoreboard, he he gets more busy, I think, in the offseason, looking for things that he may have missed covering the White Sox and Major League Baseball. I guarantee that he is going to be just tuned in to the postseason because the guy loves the game. How are you, nerd? You are correct, Chris. I am great. How are you? I'm good, man. What do you got for us this week? Well, first, before I get started, I just would like to thank all of the people on Twitter who reached out and, and were very kind in their praise of, of my work during the season. Thank you, Chris. And as you said, yes, we just move into the off season, and I will be digging up more nuggets, getting into the numbers. And in the wake of the 2023 season, let me offer you some crazy nuggets, Chris. The Sox leading hitter with runners in scoring position, regardless of at bats this season, was... Zach Remillard. Of course, and they sent him back down to the minors. <laughs> in 34 at-bats, Remillard hit 441 with a 500 on-base percentage and 529 slugging percentage with runners in scoring position in 2023. That average is the third highest in Sox history over the last 71 seasons, trailing Pat Kelly's 462 in 1971 and catcher Charles Johnson's 444 in 2000. Speaking of catchers, this was the worst year the White Sox ever had for catchers hitting. Sox backstops Yasmani Grandal, Sebi Zavala, Carlos Perez, and Corey Lee hit a combined 192. That overtook the 2013 Sox, who hit a paltry 196 due to the efforts of, here's some names for you, Chris, Flowers, Jimenez, Fegley, Gonzalez, and Anderson. Yeah. In case you are wondering, 1970 was the worst year for the Sox with 106 losses, but it was their best year for hitting catchers. Ed Herman, Dwayne Josephson, Gail Hopkins, and Art Kushner combined to hit 302 to set the Sox catcher's hitting record in 1970. The next step may be a conversation starter in coming months, depending on what the Sox decide to do with Tim Anderson. The Sox's most consistent leadoff man in 2023 was Elvis Andrews, who, by the way, played 50 games at short and 61 at second in 2023. Andrews had a good year as the Sox leadoff man, slashing 313, 324, and 463 in 17 games there. 
Last year, Elvis hit 277 with a 511 slugging percentage and 33 games as a leadoff hitter. And for his career, he's a 274 hitter in 232 games in this slot. So there is stopgap potential here. Let's talk walks. The 2023 Sox drew 377 bases on balls, which was the lowest by a Sox team in a full season since the 1904 club logged 373 walks. That's 1904, Chris. Sox pitchers issued 654 walks this season, which was the most by the club since the 1975 squad handed out 655 free passes. The biggest defenders, Lenin Salsa drew just five walks and 164 at-bats. It's been 10 years since the Sox have had a player walk less and bat more, and Michael Kopak's average of 6.3 walks per nine innings was the second highest output in team history, behind Jason Beret's 6.9 in 1995. My zinger, let's try to end on a high note. Brian Shaw had one of the great Septembers by a pitcher in White Sox history. His 18 appearances are a Sox record for the month, and a 0.92 ERA was the lowest in September by a Sox hurler in a full season since Jim Cott's 0.75 in 1975. Shaw finished with 38 appearances in his brief time with the 2023 Sox. At that rate, over 162 games schedule, Shaw would have appeared in 87 games, which is one shy of the team record. That's it, Chris. More than you ever wanted to know about Zach Remillard, Josh Begley, Pat Kelly, and certainly bad walk rates. Tis the season, Sox in the Basement listeners, for Oktoberfest. We were just in Lamont recently. We're going to be in Evergreen Park, 97th and Homan, for their village-wide Oktoberfest this Saturday the 7th. Sometimes, though, you can't get away and go to a full festival. Sometimes you just want to go to a place like Hailstorm Brewing and get some food that's perfect for this time of year and drink yourself a hearty beer. As the season changes, and it will, this 80, 85 degree stuff is going to end very quickly. Get some potato kale soup. Get one of those big giant pretzels with the beer cheese. Have some smoked chicken wings that they're smoking right there on site. Lunch kicks off at 11 a.m. and they serve into the evening hours Tuesday through Sunday. Get out to Tinley Park, 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue, and have their Oktoberfest. Take me to your liter. I'm getting there this week. I already have it marked down. Search for me. If you find me at Hailstorm this week, I'll buy you a beer. See more at hailstormbrewing.com. Zach Remillard reference right there. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You need a guy like a Zach Remillard, not to start at second base, right? But a guy who, you know, around 30 years old can, can come up in a big moment and get a hit. Yeah, he might hit 250, but he could play a couple of positions out there. And he's clutch. And you need that guy who you can have on your bench that you're not worried about stunting growth because he needs to get more at-bats down in the minors. And you also don't rely on him to be your second baseman. You go shop for a second baseman, as I said before that segment. And then you have a guy like Remillard in there being a role player. And then you, if you really believe that Lenin Sosa is going to be something, you know, have him go prove it for a month or two more in the minors and then bring him up and give him one last shot. But if you bring him up, he gets all the at-bats. And when he sucks... You move on from him at that point, right? Yeah. But I don't even I don't even know what that guy is anymore. I mean, I know that the guys from Future Sacks have told us like, oh, he's good, and he performed at every other level. But I mean, I I I don't trust him right now until he does something 
something to prove to me that I'm wrong for not trusting him. But Zach Rebelard is a guy that I, I like on this team. I would have no problem with him being on the 26-man roster. No, I, Remillard fills a role. And, and, and the, the, the majors are filled with guys that you don't know. They're, they're dudes that ground themselves to a point where they can get a chance at the majors and then try and make something of it. He is not, in all likelihood, going to be the all-star starting second baseman no, for any he's not any a starter. Team. But if you are looking for the guy that is going to give your third baseman, your shortstop, your second baseman, your first baseman, maybe one of your outfielders a spell, he's going to DH in a certain situation because too many guys have got too many ouchies and you're facing some you know, quad A bum that, that you figure Remillard can, can put together some at-bats against, or you need a pinch runner, things like that. You have to have that guy on the bench. You have to have that versatility. And the problem with the White Sox is that they would throw money at, at versatility in the name of Larry Garcia for years, and not to bring up old wounds, but Remillard represents what you're looking for. And if it's not him, there is somebody like him that is ready to go. And so, yeah, if Zach Remillard makes the team next year, as a bench player, if he gets some run at second base while you're waiting for Lenin Sosa to, to figure it out, that's great. You know, it, it, that's fine, and Sox fans should be happy about it, but don't make him the plan, right? That's that's not the plan. The plan should be, this is the guy that's going to take second base. Zach Remillard is starting at second base because that guy is on the injured list and Sosa's not ready to go. You know, something like that, right? It's He's, he's the, in case of emergency, break glass middle infielder. And you can absolutely live with him in that role, but what you can't do is you cannot be continue to be a team that sits there and says all of our eggs are in the Oscar Colas basket for right field, all of our eggs are in the Lenin Sosa second base basket. We, we 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 you know they have to have options because it's entirely possible that Sosa performs great all through the minor leagues, gets to the majors, and there's something whether it's mental or a physical hitch or something like that that's going to prevent him from really succeeding. That's the, that's the whole Billy Bean story. That's the whole thing you read in Moneyball, right. which he didn't write Moneyball. The, 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 I want to say, what was it, Michael Lewis wrote Moneyball and he used him as the guy that was the subject matter. But he talks about Billy Bean. Yeah, it's being, about Billy Bean, but it wasn't written right. by Billy Bean. Billy Bean is a guy who's a high-end prospect who's performing and then he gets he gets to the very end of his development and just can't get get over the hump. And Major League Baseball is riddled with guys like that. So th- I mean, that's Kenny why Williams was kind of that guy, honestly. Yeah, he was. And that's why you develop guys. And then that's why when if it works out great and if it doesn't, you have to have other guys develop behind them in case they don't work out. And then you just move on from it. It happens to the Yankees. It happens to the Dodgers. And it happens to the White Sox. I mean, look at the, the Dodgers have prospects that have been on top 100 prospect lists that come up, play badly, and they send them back down again. And then you never hear from them again. Right. And then I'm reading my fantasy baseball thing about, oh, well, don't forget about so-and-so. He's the number 50 prospect. And it's like the Dodgers already decided this guy's lacking, right? Like this guy's not coming back. Because they're the kind of organization that has two other guys that can do the same thing. And so they're not going to go waste time. You got you got your 150 at-bats at the majors. You failed. Good luck. If somebody's dumb enough to take you, we're willing to trade you away for another prospect. That's how that's how we should be operating. We'll never do that, but that's how we'll, we should be operating. That's how the Rays operate. I'll take a team that spends less than the White Sox. That's how the Rays operate. That's how the White Sox should be operating. Well, well look at how the Reds operated this year. The Reds literally brought up like five shortstops, right? Dela Cruz, Noel V. Marte, Matt McClain, Spencer Steer is a middle infielder by trade. They had Jonathan India. I mean, they, they just kept bringing up middle infielders and then filling them in. And if they performed, 
wonderful. Spencer Steer ended up being a first baseman outfielder by the end of the season. And, and you know, you had Taylor Cruz playing third. You had Marte filling. I mean, they are, it's an embarrassment of riches. You look at it, you're sitting there and go, what do they need all these middle infielders for? Because some of them aren't going to work out and they're just going to move on from them. Because Matt McLean ended the, the season with a, a torn oblique and, and, you know, who knows what he comes back as because it's it's still a question whether or not any of these guys can actually play over a full season and sustain it season after season. I have I have Jonathan India on my fantasy baseball team and I'm not even convinced he's going to be a starting player on the Reds next year. I, I wouldn't be if I were you. It's 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 crazy how they've done things. You know, you heard Saxner before we get out of here talk about catcher and how bad it was for the White Sox. Like it is a massive hole. That is a that is a dire situation. Yes, and I know you went out and acquired some guys, and maybe Edgar Caro is going to eventually be a good player, but he ain't going to be here next year. And if he gets here in 25, he is going to be fresh, new, and have growing pains. You need to go get a professional catcher. Not just because you're trying to win in 24. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to win in 24, Ed. I need somebody that I can sign for two years with a one-year option. That is going to be here until that kid is ready to go. Or if he fails, you have another option. Because the idea that you had this all figured out with these deals you made at the deadline, that's crazy. That's poppycock. That's absurd. I, you know what? You know what I go get? I go get Mitch Garver. He's going to be a free agent. I go get Mitch Garver. Yeah. Because guess what? The Rangers have plenty at the position, and they're not going to overpay for him, and you should be able to afford him. There's where some money goes. I would let go of Tim Anderson and fix my catcher position and have my stopgap over at short and maybe address second base with Adam Frazier. I would start making changes to the way my organization was set up because you have a hole at the catcher position, and a Mitch Garver sounds good to me, or a Yan Gomes if they don't pick up the club option. Definitely a Mitch Garver, though. Right, well, and, and with catcher, too, one of the things that's not shouldn't be lost on, on fans is as much as Yasmani Grandal, for example, was signed as an offensive catcher and a guy that was you know supposedly elite at framing, things like that, one of the reasons why you sign a veteran catcher when you're in a position next year for 24, where you're probably going to be trying out some young pitchers and stuff like that, is the catcher who you put behind the plate either has to be somebody that can actually receive or can actually help develop it. So I want a veteran catcher on this team. I, do, I you know, Sebi Zavala, whatever he was, it's a great story coming out into this year. If you're not going, if you're going to try and go with Corey Lee every day, then he needs a mentor and he needs somebody who can, he can teach the kid how to catch, who can teach the kid how to run a pitching staff. And you let his bat worry about itself. There's a reason why Martin Maldonado and Austin Hedges and Kurt Casale and you know, the, the name, the, the list of names goes on of, of catchers that are basically getting a lot of run behind the plate every year, even though from an offensive standpoint, they suck. It's because they are really, really good with the pitching staffs, and they're really valuable to their managers in that way. And so, yeah, Jan Gomes was a big part of what the Cubs were able to accomplish this year because he was good with the pitching staff and he's good behind the plate. Do I think that he is an all-world catcher offensively? Heck no. I would never put him on my fantasy team if I could avoid it. Mitch Garver I'd put on my fantasy team. He also happens to be a pretty decent catcher when he stays healthy. So there's options there, but that's one of those. That's one of those gaping holes, too, that... Just because you caught a couple of young guys at the deadline in Caro and Lee doesn't necessarily mean that the position is fixed because those guys are either A, not ready in Caro's case, or B, in Lee's case, may not pan out. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. 
Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.